Welcome to another episode of Laboratory Considerations from Q Squared Solutions. I'm your host, Chris Connor. Q Squared Solutions is a leading clinical trial laboratory services organization with end-to-end -end laboratory services and secure enterprise-wide biospecimen and consent management solutions. Q Squared Solutions uses its global experience and scientific expertise to transform science and data into actionable insights that help customers improve human health. This joint venture of IQVIA and Quest Diagnostics combines the best of each parent organization's capabilities to treat each sample as if a life depends on it. Joining me on this podcast is Stephanie Hastings, a genomics product lead at Q Squared Solutions. Stephanie, welcome. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Today, we're going to talk about liquid biopsies. So, Stephanie, tell us about your background to give listeners some context for this conversation. Sure. So, in my current role, I'm located at our Genomic Center of Excellence in the Research Triangle Park of North Carolina in our assay development translational genomics team. And in this role, I oversee development of our liquid biopsy portfolio. Within this portfolio, we focus not only on various technologies to enable circulating tumor DNA analysis, but we also focus on the pre-analytical methods that are really necessary to support this very unique sample type. Um, Let's start with, for those who are new to this topic, what exactly is a liquid biopsy? Well, a liquid biopsy is a minimally invasive alternative to a kind of more traditional surgical solid tumor biopsy. And this is where a liquid sample, primarily that of peripheral whole blood, is collected from a patient. Uh, and this is to enable the assessment of these very small fragments of DNA that are circulating in the blood or another biological fluid. Now, in cancer patients with solid tumors, this circulating free DNA, or CF DNA, is comprised of both germline DNA from our normal cells, as well as circulating tumor DNA, which is derived from the tumor cells and thus will harbor the somatic mutations that are characteristic of the tumor origin. Now, since tumor DNA is only really a small fraction of the overall CF DNA, we really require the use of very high sensitivity assays in order to detect these very interesting mutations in the background of our normal DNA. We know the tissue approach is the kind of the gold standard, but who would be interested in this and what are some of the use cases, especially some that folks may not have considered previously. So in working with our clients, really the primary drivers for implementing uh, a liquid biopsy collection into their clinical programs typically include um, working with patients where maybe tissue availability is limiting or the risk to the patient of uh, undergoing uh, surgery is too risky. Other areas of interest include really the fact that these liquid biopsies are, are quite easy to obtain and therefore 
are amenable to more frequent serial monitoring or tracking of disease within the patient. We also see a lot of interest in the evaluation of efficacy of cancer-related treatments. And in these cases, folks are looking for monitoring relapse as well as checking for resistance mutations that may pop up over the course of a cancer treatment. I think one additional important point to, to mention regarding liquid biopsies is it's thought that when you're looking at what's in circulation in the blood, you're actually looking at a more comprehensive tumor profile than that of a kind of localized tumor biopsy. So it's really advantageous to be able to sample the more comprehensive tumor profile of a patient as opposed to taking a small section from the, the primary tumor and you may not really be getting the full picture of the mutational profile. So if I understand you right, you're thinking possibly about not only the primary tumor, but sites to where it has metastasized, whose uh, genomic profile might be slightly different based on accumulated mutations. Is that what we're talking about? Exactly. And by sampling the blood there, you're able to get that more uh, comprehensive profile of METS as well as uh, the primary tumor. All right. So what types of analyses are being done on this circulating free or CFDNA? Well, we really kind of have three main categories of approaches uh, for evaluating CFDNA. The first is looking at very specific mutation detection to help support targeted therapies. The second is utilizing broader sequencing technologies to enable biomarker evaluations. And the third is developing custom sequencing panels to support clinical trial assay development. All right, so tell us a little bit more about each of those categories, what's in there. When we're interested in looking at specific mutation detection, Typically, we'll use an approach such as droplet digital PCR for focusing in on one or two specific markers of interest. This particular technology can help to achieve very high sensitivity of detecting low-frequency mutations. For instance, in one of our uh, recent validations, we were looking specifically at the detection of BRAF V600E in circulating free DNA from breast cancer patients. And we have validated our droplet digital assay for the detection of this variant down to 0.1% allele frequency using only 10 nanograms of CFDNA. Other examples of working with kind of more specific mutation detections for various targeted therapy applications can also include very small NGS panels. There's several of these on the market from various vendors, and here we're typically working with a small panel that's more focused on a handful of actionable mutations that are within a single primary tumor indication. Then you're talking there about panels that have been developed containing markers that you're looking for where there are known therapies, for example, like almost as a companion diagnostic, or is it a little different than that? 
I think that's a good example. So typically these mutations are already um, well understood. There may be active clinical trials available for targeted therapies for those specific markers. So what about the broader targeted sequencing approach? So here we really kind of have a couple of different options in with regards to NGS panels. The first is kind of a mid-sized NGS panel. And these types of panels tend to also be focused on more clinically actionable mutations, but they tend to span multiple oncology indications. So more of a pan-cancer approach. So taking a bunch of curated clinically actionable mutations and focusing all of that targeted content into a single panel. Two good examples of mid-sized panels that fall in this category include Archer's Liquid Plex assay, as well as Thermo Fisher's Oncomine Pan Cancer CTDNA assay. Both of these assays have been evaluated and validated at Q-squared Solutions and can support the detection of targeted small variants in the 0.5% allele frequency range. Now, some large, an example of a large NGS panel is that of Illumina's TrueSight Oncology 500 CTDNA assay. Now, this particular assay has really gained uh, a lot of interest as of late, and I'll talk a little bit here about our experience um, with the TSO 500 assay. But in brief, to say that a large panel like TSO500 really expands beyond just clinically actionable mutations, and in fact includes full exon coverage of hundreds of genes. And what this can really support above and beyond what a, a, mid, a mid-sized focused panel might support are things like composite biomarker reporting, such as microsatellite instability, and or tumor mutational burden. To date, we've really performed quite extensive validation work on the TSO500 plasma assay and have observed over 95% sensitivity for detecting small variants, including SNVs and indels, down to about 0.5% variant allele frequency using as little as 20 nanograms of CFDNA. Additionally, variants that are actually below that 0.5% variant allele frequency are also detected with very high specificity, albeit lower sensitivity. One unique feature that I think is important to point out about TSO500 technology is it can also support detection in solid tumors or FFPE samples. So this has also been an area of great interest because it really enables uh, concordance studies if you're interested in looking at matched tissue and CFDNA samples. Okay. And tell us about those custom sequencing panels. We also offer custom design services. Here, what we're helping to support is our clients who have desired target content that's not readily available in a commercial panel. Typically, here we might be pulling together various targets of interest into a single custom sequencing panel for a client. So I want to back up just out of my own curiosity. When you're talking about, for example, 20 nanograms of CFDNA, 
how large is the blood sample? I'm assuming it's not huge, but you have to separate that out, the circulating free DNA from the genomic DNA, or most of it's genomic, but separating it from white blood cells. That's a great question. How much do you typically get, I guess is what I'm saying, relative to when you only need to use 20 nanograms? Certainly a question we get very often. How much blood do I need to collect to be successful running CFDNA analysis? Well, the traditional blood draw for CFDNA analysis is typically about 10 mils of whole blood. And from 10 mils of whole blood, once you undergo the centrifugation that's necessary to sediment the the nucleated white blood cells uh, from the plasma fraction, you typically yield around three to four mils of plasma, depending on the health and hydration of the patient. Now, from that four-ish mils of plasma, we then take that plasma fraction and isolate total nucleic acids. And from that total nucleic acid fraction, as I mentioned earlier, it's really going to be a pool of both circulating free DNA fragments that are that of normal tissue, as well as those um, that come from any tumor tissue. So we don't have the ability to separate the CFDNA from normal versus the CFDNA from tumor. So that's really where we're having to use these very high sensitivity assays to be able to detect somatic mutations that are in a fraction of the total CFDNA. Got it. You did a fantastic job of answering the question that I barely made understandable. (laughs) I'll I'll add one additional comment there. Um, You asked, you know, what's the typical yield that we typically see For CFDNA, this is also a a difficult question to answer, but I will do my best. CFDNA yields vary dramatically across indications as well as the overall health of the patient. So in a normal person with no autoimmune condition or, or other condition, CFDNA yields can be quite low in the kind of five to 10 nanogram range. Whereas if we're talking about a late-stage cancer patient, we may get yields upwards of 100 nanograms. So it's really a wide range. And ultimately, we try to collect enough blood such that we'll at least yield in the range of 20 to 30 nanograms for analysis. All right. Let's, let's talk about the bigger picture here. How can these tests be implemented on a global level? Well, all of our CFDNA capabilities have been developed with our clients' global clinical trial needs in mind, and thus are all supported using a distributable kit model. The development and validation of any of these CFDNA assays begins at our Genomic Center of Excellence here in the Research Triangle Park of North Carolina. Then by leveraging our global laboratory network, we can transfer these methods to other genomic centers, uh, including our Beijing, China, and Edinburgh, Scotland laboratories. Now, while both genomics laboratories are co-located with our greater central laboratories, the genomic centers operate under a lab within a lab model and are directly managed by the operations teams here at the Research Triangle Park 
to ensure standardization of quality on a global level. And then in all of my conversations on this podcast, proper sample management is always a very important topic. So what do sponsors and investigators need to know about options for sample collection? Sample collection and stability is key. As we talked about earlier, contamination of the circulating free DNA fraction with any high molecular weight genomic DNA from those nucleated cells that lice during the blood collection process can further dilute the representation of the tumor DNA. And given the fact that we're basically already looking for a needle in a haystack, optimizing blood collection protocols are really critical for enabling detection of very low allele frequency somatic mutations. There are several options for blood collection tube types available. I'm gonna talk specifically here for a minute about EDTA tube type as well as stabilization tube types. Now, when collecting blood in a traditional EDTA tube, the sample must be processed within about six hours of blood draw. It's recommended that you use a two-step centrifugation process to fully clear the plasma of cellular debris. Now, unfortunately, if samples are not processed to plasma within this very short time frame, the risk of contamination via the cell lysis increases dramatically. One of the things we found in working in this field for a while now is that clinical sites are not always equipped to perform these procedures. And because of the very compressed time frame between blood collection and plasma processing, it really makes centralizing this processing impossible. So an alternative collection strategy would be to use a stabilization tube type. And these stabilization tubes typically contain reagents that prevent cell lysis and thus extend the stability window for plasma processing. The Streck cell-free DNA blood collection tube works really well and is a tube that we have a lot of experience with. This tube can extend that stability window out to about six days from blood draw when properly maintained at ambient temperature. This extended time frame between the blood collection and the plasma processing enables us to implement a centralized plasma processing model within Q-squared solutions. Then what's the pre-analytical strategy? The pre-analytical strategy for plasma overall, first, as we just mentioned, really implementing a centralized plasma processing model. Um, here to support this, we have implemented on a global level at all of our central labs, high-speed centrifuges to support the, the Streck cell-free DNA double-spin protocol. And so this really enables us to allow for harmonized uh, collections within global trials across several sites and eliminates variability in sample quality that might be introduced at that first step in the process of plasma collection. Now, the second step really comes down to evaluating your isolated nucleic acid. Ultimately, for all of the studies we support, we receive plasma samples from various sources. In some cases, we receive isolated cell-free DNA. 
And we need a methodology in place that really enables us to not only evaluate sample quantity, but sample quality. And so in order to do this, we have implemented a fragment analysis method that is very high sensitivity, so it allows us to evaluate these very small amounts of DNA that might be present, but not only quantifies how much DNA is there, but allows us to look at the proportion of the DNA that is within that small fragment range of about you know, 165 base pairs to how much of that material that we've isolated might be high molecular weight in nature. And this kind of quality metric is really important to understanding how much material we need to use for a downstream method, such as NGS sequencing. This has all been very informative. In case people still are wondering, what's the case to consider liquid biopsies for whatever people might be doing? I think primarily the number one thing is it provides a mechanism for tumor detection and monitoring that is far less invasive compared to a solid tumor tissue biopsy. Uh, and this, in turn, enables more frequent disease monitoring. Secondly, we talked about that it also helps us to evaluate that more comprehensive tumor profile of a patient, not just a, a localized sampling. And additionally, I think, you know, talking about the standardized pre-analytical methods, these can really be standardized easily within a clinical trial. But also, if you're interested in storing samples, say for a retrospective analysis, once you have a frozen plasma aliquot, they're very stable. So if you're interested in collecting this kind of sample type for some exploratory um, analysis down the road, you can bank these samples in the freezer and they'll be there um, at a later time for analysis. All right. Well, this has been really uh, informative and fun to learn about a technique that seems to be generally new, but very useful. I'm I learned a lot. Stephanie Hastings, thank you so much for uh, sharing your expertise with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. All right. And if people want to learn more, they can visit the website q2labsolutions.com. And that's Q, the number two, labsolutions.com. And look for an insight brief on this very topic.